Well, Mondays are my day off. And after a few errands in the morning, I usually stop for some lunch. And sometimes I go to Tim Hortons, where I get the chicken bacon ranch wrap. And I also like to have a drink. So on cold days, I get a coffee. And on warm days or hot summer days, I get a cool drink. And as soon as I ask for a drink, they ask me a question. Can you guess it? Do you want to make that a combo? That's the question. And the combo includes the wrap, the drink, and one other item. A muffin, a cookie, or a donut. And did you know that it is basically the same price and even a little less to get the combo with three items than to get two individual items like a wrap or a, and a drink? But the combo option presents me with a problem. And the problem is, I actually don't need a third item. Yet when they ask, I look down at the luscious, sugar-filled options just below the glass, right in front of me. And I sometimes can't resist. Oh, just make it a combo and I'll have a honey-dipped donut too. And then I have my wrap, and I have my drink, and I have a honey-dipped donut, which I don't need. And my body doesn't like too much sugar. So I don't feel the greatest when I leave. And if I just stayed with the wrap and I didn't add anything to it, that would be sufficient for my lunch. But sometimes I add something I just don't need. And we can do the same thing in our walk with Jesus. If you're a Christian, you initially received Christ by faith as your Savior. You were forgiven. You were adopted into God's family. You began the journey of faith by walking with Christ. Maybe you were convinced Christ is all that I need. And then you walk with Christ for a while. And maybe your life gets to be a little bit mundane. It gets to be a little bit ordinary. And then you meet someone who is super excited about their faith. And you ask them, what is going on? What has happened to you? And they tell you that they have found a speaker. And this speaker is an expert in stars. And if you would just come and hear this speaker, you would learn that the stars point to Jesus. And if you just spend time looking at the night sky, you can find Jesus in the stars. It's so amazing. Or you hear of someone who is so excited because they found peace in their home. And you ask them, oh, well, how did you find peace in your home? I, you just have to get some crystals. And if you put crystals in strategic places throughout your home, you will have peace in your home. Or maybe you know someone who was once would call themselves a Christian but now calls themselves religious because they have found this author who is so amazing and explains the way things really are in this world today. And so, yeah, Jesus is okay and the Bible's okay, but you really got to focus on this author and this book because they really know what's going on. Or you meet an old friend and you find that they're so happy and you ask them what is going on and they answer well they've been following this new idea of being true to yourself and your feelings 
And they're just letting their feelings lead them wherever they go to do whatever their feelings want. And Jesus is okay. But some of his stuff is pretty dated and it's kind of on the wrong side of history. And, and now we know so much better so we can still respect some things about Jesus and his life. But following our feelings is really where it's at today. And that's what we need to do for our faith to be relevant. Or is it? Each one of these examples adds something to Jesus. Jesus plus the speaker who can read the stars. Jesus plus crystals. Jesus plus the new writer. Jesus plus your feelings, unless Jesus goes against your feelings. And Christians in the ancient city of Colossae faced similar questions. They had received Christ as Savior and Lord by faith, yet now teachers told them, They needed to upgrade to the full meal deal. They needed Jesus plus a few other things to get the full spiritual experience. And the Apostle Paul hears about this. So he writes the New Testament letter to the Colossians because he is concerned that this anti-Christian thinking will lead them away from Christ. And we have seen Paul emphasize the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. And last week we saw him emphasize the need to grow in maturity in Christ. And when you're convinced of the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, and you're growing in maturity in Christ, you will be much less likely to think that you need more than Christ to live. And you will have greater strength to say no when you see the sugar-coated additions to Christ that are placed before you. So today we're going to see Paul continue to help the Colossians and help us live out our faith in Christ alone. And he's going to do this through a command, a warning, and some encouragement. And I pray that God is going to use one of these at least to strengthen your faith that in Christ alone you will have all that you need. And so our text is Colossians 2, verses 6 to 10. It's on page 835, and the Bible's in front of you. If you want to pick one of those up, if you don't have one, or on your devices. Five verses only that are packed full, and some say this is the heart of the letter to the Colossians. So Colossians 2, verses 6 to 10. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So a command, a warning, and some encouragement. Paul begins in verse 6 by bringing them back to the moment when they came to Christ. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as the Lord or the Lord. So that means if you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, you're a Christian. 
And how do we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By faith. A true Christian believes what Jesus has said about himself. A true Christian recognizes Jesus as God's son. But true faith does not only involve mental things, thinking. True faith shows up in a person's life. So we live as if all that Jesus said was true. And all that Jesus did was true. And all that Jesus commands is true. We live accordingly. And there's a title in verse 6 that we can skip over so easily because we've heard it so many times. And that title is Lord. A title of Christ that we have to deal with. And this verse begs the question, have we received Christ Jesus as our Savior and our Lord? Is Jesus Lord over every area of our lives? Or do we just want Jesus to save us while we go and live our lives however we want? Is Jesus Lord maybe over 20% of our lives and and 80% is is ours to do what we want with? Is it 50-50 maybe? Christian maturity involves the journey to submit 100% of our lives to be under the lordship of Christ. Our driving, our talking, our scrolling on our phones, our entertainment choices, our attitude at work or in school, our eating, our relationships, our goals, finances, and spending, our friendships, all need to come under the lordship of Christ. And remember the iceberg image that we talked about a few weeks ago where icebergs have maybe 10% above the water and 90% below water? And we talked about how maybe when we come to Christ initially, we know about or see about 10% of our sin, and the Christian life is about dealing with that, and then and then the 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 light of Christ shines on that 10% and we hopefully deal with that and more comes up as we go through life. And I think it's similar when it comes to maturity or, or maturing in Christ and bringing our life under his lordship. And maybe when we come to Christ, 10% of our lives is under his lordship. And then we, we go on that journey of of discovering, oh, this part of my life is not under the lordship of Christ and that needs to change. And so we work with with what the Spirit is doing in us. So the question to be asked initially is, is Jesus Lord over every area of our lives? But back to the command in verse 6, Therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And the command is simply this, continue to walk in Christ Jesus the Lord. That's the command. Which means to live a life that shows we've given the Lord his rightful place in our lives. To live in a way that shows obvious recognition that Jesus is Lord over all of my life. But the question is, how do you continue to live or walk in Christ Jesus, the Lord? Kind of sounds like a lot of work. And some of you are here today, maybe, and you barely made it through this week. And you have little to no emotional 
capacity left or energy left. And it seems like this command is just try harder at first glance. But the good news is the little word as at the beginning of verse 6. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By faith. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord by faith, so walk in him by faith. Meaning every day we pray, God, will you give me strength, power, and help to continue to walk in the Lord today? Lord, please give me your resources, wisdom, and strength to walk in Christ today with whatever comes my way. We don't try to marshal up this energy ourselves. We ask for strength to live by faith. To walk in Christ by faith. And verse 7 continues the good news where it says, Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you were taught. And all of these qualifiers are in passive form, meaning that the action is done to us, not we do the action. Someone else is doing the action and that someone is God. So we walk in Christ the Lord, being rooted in God, being built up in Christ, being established in the faith. God does the rooting and the planting when we came to Christ. God is doing the building up. God is establishing us us in the faith. And our job is to cooperate with what God is doing. So we pray, God, will you continue to root me in Christ? Will you continue to build me up in maturity, to establish me in the faith? And then notice the last phrase in verse 7 is present. We do the action abounding in thanksgiving. So God does all this work to empower us to mature in Christ and we're abounding in thanksgiving that God is giving us the strength to continue to live or walk in Christ. And this verse continues the theme of Christian maturity that we talked about last week. Remember in chapter 1, verse 28, Paul writes, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And that's Paul's command to the, to the Colossians now. Continue to walk in him by the strength of God, by faith in God. And that's God's command to us through Paul. So that's the command. Next we come to the warning in verse 8. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So why did the Colossians need to grow in maturity? Because there was this threat of anti-Christian thinking. And last week in chapter 2, verse 4, Paul wrote, I say this in order that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments and now he picks this up again with some more specifics he says see to it look carefully watch out for what that no one takes you captive watch out for empty deceitful teaching from human tradition and demons that can take you captive and to be taken captive means to be carried off as plunder The image is of an invading army that sweeps into a city and then takes the citizens 
and carries them off as captives to their slave labor camps. And this is what happened to the Israelites when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, which we learned about during the Ezekiel series. They weren't slave laborers, but they were certainly laborers under the Babylonian rule. Here, however, the invader is not a foreign army. It's anti-Christian ways of thinking. And such thinking takes captive those who believe in them. But much of the world will not agree with that conclusion. And if I were to summarize how I see the dominant view of our culture regarding thinking today, I, I would summarize it like this. Everyone has a worldview or way of seeing the world. There are many different worldviews. Each one is legitimate and adds to the beautiful tapestry of human thinking. We all need to respect one another's worldviews and learn from each other, which is true. But lastly, the world might say it doesn't matter which worldview you hold as long as you're tolerant of everyone else. And it sounds beautiful and inviting and inclusive. But would Paul agree with that? Does he see alternative worldviews and ways of thinking as beautiful ideas and alternative lifestyles? Does he see them as just another path on our collective pursuit for the good of everyone? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Paul warns that this alternative way of thinking apart from Christ, leads to captivity, to enslavement. It doesn't lead to anyone's good. Well, what is this thinking? Well, the English Standard Version translates it as philosophy and empty deceit. And the word philosophy, the way it was used then, is not the same as it's used today. It's not a blanket condemnation of philosophy. The word philosophy means the love of wisdom. And there is wisdom about the world to be found in philosophy. We need Christian philosophers to help us discern all of this. But in Paul's day, the term philosophy could be applied to anyone's teaching. Likely the false teacher called their teaching, my philosophy, the philosophy. So he's likely addressing that and he calls this teaching empty or hollow. And something is empty if it has no intellectual, moral, or spiritual value. It promises much but ends up giving nothing. It is without content, basis, and truth. And so much of our culture's teaching falls into this category. Somebody makes a claim with little content or no content, no basis, no truth, but it's something cool, it's something different, so people listen or they fudge the data to support their teaching. And that's where the deceit comes in. The teaching, the idea, is not founded on facts or reality. It's something that we want to be true, so we claim it's true. We twist the facts. And I've shared this one with you before, but it's worth pondering again. I remember listening to an interview with skeptic Michael Shermer, who used to be a Christian, and is now an atheist, and he's the editor of the magazine Skeptical Inquirer. 
And when asked, well, what's the basis? If there's no God, what's the basis that we have for truth and reality today? And he says, science and peer-reviewed publications. And so basically in scholarship, you write down your idea, you write down your discovery in the lab, you put it out there for people to look at, to criticize, to debunk, or to support. And through that process, we find out what truth is. The problem with that approach, though it, there is value in it to an extent, we need ideas that are tested, but the problem is it assumes that the people who are writing and the people who are reviewing are committed to share whatever the data shows. They're committed to complete honesty. They're committed to not suppress things that they don't like. It assumes that the people reviewing and the people writing have no bias, no agenda, no political slant, no funding interest, no emotional motivation to say yes or no to someone's idea. And the amount of fraud and twisted arguments and suppression of alternative views to today's dominant views is amazing. In scholarship, in university campuses, in colleges, in our world today. Isn't that ironic that on university and college campuses where the idea is you're supposed to come and think and debate ideas, if you don't hold the dominant idea, you're shut down. Not allowed to speak. Professors are fired. And university and college students and young adults and everyone, will you please take Colossians 2.8 seriously? If you think that something your prof is saying, your teacher is saying, is not right or not true, check it out according to the scriptures, according to other mature Christians in your world. And we've got this young adults next group that's starting up today. Maybe that can be a place where you talk about some of these challenges. So why do so many people accept empty and deceitful teaching. And Paul explains it, I think, for two reasons, because of human tradition and because of the elemental spirits of the world. And if people are devoted to rebelling against God, they don't want to follow any idea that has anything to do with God, so they're willing to follow human tradition. Oh, that's an idea that has God not in it at all? I'm interested in that. And I agree with those who interpret elemental spirits of the world as demonic influence in anti-christian thinking today after all the devil is a deceiver and if he can get us to believe a lie he's taken people captive to that lie he's led so many astray so this is the warning watch out for empty deceitful teaching from human tradition and demons that can take you captive but after the warning there's more assurance For our faith, walk with Jesus. Verse 9, for in him, Jesus. And this is one of the most powerful verses in this entire letter. Verse 9, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And notice the contrast. In verse 8, he's just talked about empty deceit and now in verse 9 in him the whole fullness of deity verse 10 you have been filled 
in him. Jesus is fully God. And in contrast to empty deceit and ideas, in Jesus we find the fullness of God. So that when we put our faith and our trust in Christ alone, it's not like we're settling for something like the world has all these great ideas and all this great knowledge over here, and uh, we got to settle for Jesus. No, no, no. We turn to the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells. And remember how Paul's been lifting up Jesus as supreme and sufficient. He holds the highest position of honor in all of creation. He is the creator of all things in heaven on earth. In him all things hold together. He holds the highest position among the resurrected. Last week we saw in Colossians 2 and 3, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And now we see in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then verse 10 reminds us we've been filled with him. So why would we need more than Jesus? Why might we think Jesus is not enough? And then verse 10 ends with more good news, especially concerning those elemental spirits of the world. When you see rule and authority, it often refers to spiritual rule and spiritual authority. And we've just talked about the demonic influence behind deceitful and empty thinking, which is entrenched in many of the power structures of our society Yet we don't have to fear or be overwhelmed because Jesus is supreme over every rule and authority. He is above all spiritual beings, including those who have rebelled against God. And though Satan and demons attack and oppress us, and though though they work to deceive people and take them captive, Jesus is head over them all. So that when we pray in his name, the demons cannot stand it. They cannot overcome it while we stand. And so the assurance is we are filled with Christ who is fully God and who is head over all spiritual beings. So. We've seen a command, continue to walk in Christ the Lord by faith. We've seen a warning, see to it. That no one takes you captive with philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And then we've got some assurance. Remember, you are filled with Christ who is fully God and head over all spiritual beings. How might we respond? Well, one way is to ask the question, is there some area in my life that has not come under the lordship of Jesus? Do I put my faith aside and give myself a pass when I'm talking or driving or eating or scrolling or feeling or thinking about the past or present or the future? Two, is there some area in my life where I regularly get taken captive by something from the world? Maybe it's a situation, maybe it's a setting, maybe it's certain people that I hang out with, and when I hang out with them, I'm leaving Jesus out. And we also need to guard against ideas that bypass our mind through our eyes. It's one thing to hear someone 
say an argument in a class and us think, oh, you know, I don't think that's right. It's another to see an image that has an idea behind it, but it's not obvious. And all of a sudden we just see the image. And if we're not careful, we can be taken captive by it before we even realize what's happening. Or we have to watch for ideas that can bypass our minds through our ears because sometimes messages that are anti-Christian are contained in beautiful music, beautifully sung, popular artists, and the message is anti-Christian. And yet we sing away, sing away, and it begins to play in our heads. So we have to guard against that. And then thirdly, is there some fear or anxiety in our hearts that can lessen when we recall that Jesus is fully God and rules over all? I mean, you're filled with Christ if you're a Christian in whom dwells the fullness of deity. You are filled with Christ who is head over all rule and authority. You don't need to run to something or someone more for fullness. And this does not mean that we just, oh, well, that means I don't need a doctor, I don't need counselors, I don't need medicine, because sometimes Jesus works through all of that, and that's his wisdom, but Jesus is our ultimate hope and fullness. And and, and so today, maybe, you know, one of these three things is an encouragement to you. Maybe one of these three questions is something that, that, that God is saying to you today. And I want to just give you a couple moments as we close today to respond to him in prayer. And, and, and so let us come before God in prayer. And, and, and actually, we come, we come before you, Jesus, in whom the fullness of deity dwells bodily, that you right now in your body of the fullness of deity And you see what's happening here right now. And you know where each one of us is at when it comes to bringing our lives under your lordship. Or not. And and Lord, I pray that you'll just continue to work in us to align what we believe in our heads with the way that we live our lives. And so, we need you. We need, just as we received you by faith, we need to live by faith. We need to depend on you to do that building and maturing work in our lives. Help us not to get in the way, but to see what it looks like to cooperate with your beautiful, saving, sanctifying work in us. And we pray this in your powerful name, Jesus.